This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and Director of Communications at the ACLU of PA. For this episode, I talked with ACLU PA community advocate Gata Makoshi. Gata recently co-authored a report on student arrests in Allegheny County Public Schools. She talks about the findings and recommendations of that report and also about how schools and students have reacclimated to being on campus full-time this year. The report we discuss is available at aclupa.org slash student arrests. This conversation was recorded on March 15th. Well, Gada, thanks for taking the time to talk. Really appreciate uh, your work and and uh, and your time uh, today to talk a little bit about police and schools. Um, first, if you could say a bit about what you do at ACLUPA. You're a community advocate and you're specifically working on school discipline and policing issues. What does a typical day look like for you? Right. Yeah, um, that's exactly what I do. So I primarily work on student rights, discipline and policing issues um, in Southwest Pennsylvania. Um, And I'd say probably in a typical day, I'm generally working with data on arrests or other forms of exclusionary discipline um, to assess trends and disparities, looking at school policies like schools' codes of conduct, um, making suggestions for ways that schools can change them to make them less vague, um, to minimize police intervention for minor infractions, or working directly with parents who might have reached out to me um, or school board members to answer questions they might have about policies and procedures. So I want to dive right into uh, an issue that's probably on a lot of people's minds. It's the impact of COVID on school environments. It almost seems unavoidable this school year. Uh, and you wrote a piece for our blog in December that talks about how students would be going through a transition coming back into school buildings after spending much of the previous year and a half off campus and that administrators need to take a compassionate approach. So as we sit here six months into the school year, do you have a sense yet of how that transition is going? I know there's been a lot of discussion about school environment in Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you said, there were a lot of advocates, psychologists and social workers who warned schools. Um, I think last year and over the summer that students would be coming back into schools with increased trauma, anxiety, depression, and that schools needed to prepare for that with an increase in supports, you know, whether that was additional social workers or counselors. But what we actually found was that uh, many schools didn't do that. So what they did was they either chose to increase police presence or really some of them just did nothing. I think they hoped that kids would be so happy to be back in school, to see their friends, that they would just adjust to being back in school seamlessly. Um, And that unfortunately was not the case. So many students struggled. Um, And I think what we have seen in some of the schools was that, especially kids who started seventh and 10th grade this year, uh, because we went into virtual learning when these students were in fifth and eighth grade respectively, Um, And so they missed learning vital social emotional skills before transitioning to middle and high school. Um, And what schools should have done, and and they can even still do this, um, is spend several weeks kind of talking to kids about, you know, easing them back into school, teaching those skills, and really connecting with students individually, because I think that's the most important part, uh, is really getting to know the students um, and, you know, what they've experienced, what they're bringing into the schools every day. I realize this may vary from district to district, but do you think that decision to not have more counselors or social workers was a policy choice or a budgetary issue? And obviously, if they're spending money on more police, then it doesn't sound like it sounds like a policy choice, not a a budget issue. 
Um, I think it can be a mix of both. So there are grants for policing and there aren't grants necessarily for um, or schools don't choose to spend them for social workers. So there are a lot of safety grants that are out there that schools have applied for um, and received, and they've used that to invest in additional policing. All right. So speaking of policing, um, in January, we released a report on arrests of students in Allegheny County's public schools. You were a co-author on the report. And let's start with the genesis of it. What was the research question that you wanted to answer when you started working on it? Um, I'd say basically we were trying to look at three things. Uh, were schools underreporting arrests in their districts? Um, were there disparities by race, gender, and disability? And what infractions were students being arrested for? Um, but in addition to those questions, we also felt like it was important to provide districts with recommendations on what they could do to address those issues. Um, and what were the, before we get into the recommendations, what were mm -hmm. the, key, the key findings? So our key findings were that uh, school districts in Allegheny County underreported arrests by about 80% to the Pennsylvania Department of Education um, and to the Federal Civil Rights Data Collection for the 2017-18 year um, by about 78%. So what that means is while there were 160, uh, they reported that there were 167 students arrested when in fact there were actually 762 students arrested. Wow. Um, and then, you know, with regard to the actual data that we found, we found that Allegheny County students encountered the juvenile um, criminal justice systems at higher rates than those in Philadelphia County um, and in Pennsylvania overall. Uh, we found that most of the infractions for which students were arrested were often relatively minor, uh, that black male students and students with disabilities were arrested at higher rates than their non-black and non-disabled peers. Um, what we also found was black girls were the only demographic group who had more arrests in schools than in the community. Um, and that there were significantly greater disparities between arrests of black girls and white girls than between black boys and white boys. Hmm. Um, and finally, we found that disparities in arrests of black students existed in districts with both small and large enrollments of black students. Uh, so in fact, eight out of the top 10 school districts with the largest disparities had enrollment of black students that was less than 7%. So I'm going to go slightly off script here because that actually generated a couple of other questions I want to ask mm -hmm. you. First of all, about the reporting. So at my Allegheny County, my understanding is part of the reason we were able to do this is because Allegheny County keeps some data that is maybe unique or at least unusual across Pennsylvania. So that begs the question then, if this is happening in Allegheny County and they're tracking some of this data, like when arrests happen on campus, that seems to suggest that this probably is going on across Pennsylvania. Um, it may be. So there are reports on arrests of youth that is published, um, but it does not distinguish between what is happening in the community and which ones are school related. So there is a dashboard here, uh, I think that was funded by FISA uh, Foundation, which what happens, the Allegheny County Juvenile Offense Dashboard. And what happens is that people from Allegheny County Probation Office actually look at every police report, read through the police report, and then they mark which ones are school related and which ones aren't. 
Um, and so it unfortunately it takes that level of like looking at the reports one by one to be able to assess that. Um, and that is not available in other counties across the state. Well, and that leads to one of the recommendations I'll ask you. I, I want to ask you about all the recommendations or the ones you want to highlight. But in particular, what does that mean for enforcement of those reporting requirements? It seems that the state and federal government are going to have to do better in terms of making sure that these districts are reporting their their data. Right. Absolutely. Um, they are not enforcing it. And I think that there should be some very clear red flags. So, again, the underreporting isn't just specific to Allegheny County or Pittsburgh. Um, it has happened across the country, so New York and L.A. Um, but I think whenever a school district that is as large as, for example, Pittsburgh Public Schools reports zero arrests, that should be a red flag. Um, they, in fact, had 499 arrests in the 2017-2018 year, even though they reported zero. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's part of what our recommendations are, which is, you know, that they're school districts need to accurately collect and publicly report arrest, referral, and citation data. Um, and, you know, that's something that the school districts can do. Uh, updating the ESSA annual report card, which is the Every Student Succeeds Act, um, is something that would require the oversight of local and state agencies to ensure that that reporting is accurate. Um, but then the other things that we have, which are can be implemented by school boards throughout, you know, like through changes to school district policies are things like adopt a policy restricting police involvement in ordinary school discipline for low level infractions. Uh, you know, so you don't need to get police involved if there is an issue with a cell phone violation um, or for a dress code or any of these minor things that really schools should be addressing. Um, limit the immediate notification of local law enforcement to infractions on the mandatory reporting list. So Pennsylvania has a list of infractions um, or violations where if a student commits these, they must be reported to police. And then everything else is discretionary. Um, and so really kind of, you know, uh, creating guidelines about when police should and shouldn't be involved. Um, protecting students who receive services under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Um, so as I stated earlier, students with disabilities are arrested at higher rates than their non-disabled peers. Um, and so finding ways that we can probably su properly support them. Um, adopting a moratorium on semi citations issued at schools. So these are you know, tickets that are given to students where they have to appear before a magistrate and are often issued fines. Um, and these things don't have to happen because students are usually already being suspended or expelled or having some other sort of discipline um, at school anyway. Um, eliminating the everyday presence of police in schools, right? We don't need police necessarily roaming the halls. Um, reinvest funds that are allocated for police into student support resources. Like I said, we are desperately understaffed for us, you know, social workers and counselors, and we need more of them in the building. And that issue about the summary citations and mm -hmm. the lower level offenses, it feels to me like in this conversation, at least at this moment anyway, um, is getting a bit lost because there had been some high profile violent incidents, but when you look at the data and this report shows it, uh, the things that kids are getting arrested for or getting citations for tend to be low level behavior that you would completely expect from kids these at this age. 
Right. Yeah. So you've got incidents of disorderly conduct. Um, you have, you know, even issues of possession of a small amount of marijuana. So things where students might need some additional support, resources or guidance, um, but don't necessarily need a criminal record. Right. Like that's not going to help them uh, behave better. Um, and we have heard of incidents in the news, you know, that there have been some violent outbursts. But when we look specifically at the data, what we're seeing, um, and we, let's take PPS, for example. So when we compare violent incidents uh, this year compared to the 2018-19 at the same time, uh, we're actually down by about 40%. So while there might be more, uh, there might be specific outbursts that are more violent that make the news, Overall, there are actually less violent infractions overall. Um, and I think what we need to do is, you know, address that by having more, you know, again, social workers, counselors, adults, um, mediators in the building to be able to intervene, to be able to work with students. Um, you know, it's not just PPS that is understaffed and under-resourced as schools that are across the nation. Um, and COVID has made that so much more difficult as more and more people are either leaving the profession um, or sick or just not in our buildings. Um, and we need more proactive measures and supports in our schools, you know, restorative practices that help students start the day with um, meditation or circles or other ways to help students kind of center themselves and for teachers to also get a better understanding of what students are bringing into the building, you know, what trauma they may be bringing um, and help them readjust to being in school. You know, when we were preparing for um, the press outreach and the other communications on this, I remember one of our colleagues saying, you know, their press outlets have written stories about the disproportionate arrest rates of black students and students with disabilities. Um, so this is not news. Um, what do you think is holding back the stakeholders from addressing that? It, you know, is it is it is there a lack of will? Um, I mean, yeah, in some cases there is, you know, so we have certainly talked to school boards uh, across Pennsylvania who say that, you know, there, there really isn't a disparity in arrests of like black students. They say our police actually, you know, they arrest anybody, they arrest everybody, anybody that like uh, makes a fuss or gets into a fight. Like there's no, there's no distinguishing. Um, we have found that uh, school boards are more receptive when we talk about disparities with students with disabilities. Um, and I think that they can acknowledge that there is bias there um, and that students with disabilities really do need additional supports and resources. And they are protected um, under federal law when it comes to things like suspensions and expulsions. You know, you have to do a manifestation determination to see if their behavior is a manifestation of their disability, but that type of thing does not exist when it comes to arrests. And so these are the types of things that we're saying that schools need to do more of, right? Before getting police involved, was this a manifestation of their disability? Um, are there the right resources and supports in place for this student so that you can help them rather than arrest them and push them out? Because uh, arresting students really doesn't teach them anything. Um, what we found is that you know, as, as students have more interactions, even the first interaction with police leads to more interactions with police down the line. Um, they tend to not be as involved in schools. Their grades tend to worsen. Um, and so we're trying to keep kids in school, right? That's in the best interest of the students, uh, all students, not just the ones that are being, you know, uh, arrested, um, and the community as a whole. 
We've, we've mentioned that there have been some high profile incidents uh, in schools in Allegheny County, and I want to be mindful of acknowledging the concerns of parents and students and teachers and, uh, and, and concerns they may have about the atmosphere in schools. So what is the pitch for why more police in schools is not the answer? How do we convince everyone involved that there's a better, fairer way to address school climate issues? Right. So the, the issue with police is that they tend to react after a situation has occurred, right? And so as a parent, I want these things not to happen, right? right. I don't want police there uh, just to respond after an incident because then a student has been harmed, right? Then something has come up. So you wanna prevent these situations from occurring or escalating in the first place. And that should really be our primary focus. Um, and in order to do that, you know, we have to address the underlying cause. Um, do students have at least one adult in the building that they trust? Um, are we connecting with those students um, you know, and understanding where they're coming from, what trauma they're bringing into schools? Um, is there a way that we can properly support them so that you know, they can come to that adult when they have a concern? Um, our social workers and our counselors right now spend most of their time helping kids fill out applications for college and not enough time really spending one-on-one -on -one time with students that really need it. Um, and that is very unfortunate. And so I think that what we need to do is, you know, really invest in those resources. They're vital to our students. What actions can people take if they want to get involved in these issues? Um, there's a few different things that people can do. So depending on in what way they want to get involved, um, they can look at the data about their school district. You know, they can review their school's code of conduct and look for vague or discriminatory language um, that serves to disproportionately push out either black and brown students or students with disabilities and contact their school board members or speak at their public hearing to push for changes. Uh, they can volunteer with their local school. Um, they can also push legislators for additional funding for schools to get the needed support and resources that teachers and students need. I was hoping you'd mention school boards because they've been taking a lot of heat from some reactionary forces the last uh, six to nine yes. months. And to hear from some voices of fairness and justice, I think, would be a welcome change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, school boards <laughs> uh, and legislators in general tend to hear when we are against something rather than when we're for something. Yeah. Um, and so if your school district is doing something that you, you know, are in support of, if they're making changes that are really supporting the students, then let them know that, right? Support those changes. And then you can push for additional ways in which they can support students and teachers. All right, Gata, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights and everything you're doing for the community there in Allegheny County. Thank you. That's Gata Makoshi, ACLUPA community advocate. Visit aclupa.org slash student arrests to find the report. Student arrests in Allegheny County schools, the need for transparency and accountability. Speaking of students, I want to draw your attention to legislation that ACLUPA is fighting that would enshrine discrimination against transgender students into state law. House Bill 972 would prohibit trans students from participating on school sports teams based on their gender identity. Participation in school activities gives trans youth a feeling of belonging and inclusion and benefits them academically and emotionally. This bill goes in the opposite direction. House Bill 972 was voted out of the House Education Committee on March 29th, 
and ACLUPA has an action alert available where you can send an email to your state representative to urge them to vote no on the bill. See the show notes for a link to the action alert and visit aclupa.org slash HB972 for more information about the legislation. That brings episode 71 to a close. The audio editor of Speaking Freely is Freddie Foulet, and our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Schufer. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be healthy and be